If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John 5 in a little bit. The, uh, this is kind of a catch-all. I actually added it a few weeks ago to kind of give it its own day. The, uh, lots of questions you get when you do a series on heaven. Uh, we're going to look at, I think, six of them today. The, uh, one of them pointed that uh, I think a lot of people have, maybe the rest to some extent. Um, the first one is, is maybe a little quicker. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on one. The, uh, who can you imagine you will meet, work, and talk with in the new earth? It's kind of an interesting imagination uh, exercise. You know, I put some people up there mostly from the, the Bible, uh, but there may be other people that you, you think about when we have finite time, a finite time period, and a finite geographical location, we're limited to well, how many people we can have deep relationships with. And even those relationships that we have are limited because of time. And how many, I mean, I know you like to sit here and listen to four or five hour sermon, but we got things to do, right? <laughs> I think, and in, in obviously we've we talked about time uh, a couple, uh, about a month ago, I suppose, but you'll be able to cultivate this. And it's not just theology, you know, this is my list or one of my lists um, that you want to talk to, but, you know, who knows who we might want to. There's a lot of uh, wonderful people that we'll probably didn't even know. I mean, you think about how many people in the Bible like the woman who uh, touches his his cloak just and gets healed. What's her name? I don't know. But maybe we'll get a meter and talk to her. That was like those are the types of things I think about. Maybe you don't, but maybe try. You know. And again, time's not a problem. Um, but the one I really wanted to hit, we're gonna. I'm gonna get some help from uh, a couple of uh, theologians, maybe three. Um, Will the new heaven and new earth be spoiled by the loved ones not there? That's, that's maybe one of the hardest questions there. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, if you've asked that, you're not alone. I bet I've got this question at least 10 times. Uh, you gonna talk about this? <laughs> I'm like, no, because it's too hard. You know, <laughs> but uh, we're gonna give it a shot. We're gonna look at it. Um, when you look at this, and what I, what you first have to like, we talked a little bit about this with the, in the children's sermon. This is a different verse here from 1 Corinthians 13. After the, this is the love chapter that we use a lot in, in weddings that describes what Christian love is all about. But Paul kind of sums up this, this statements by, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know f fully, even as I have been fully known. So sometimes you'll see that translated mirror or glass darkly. Um, you, the idea is that we only see portions of it. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't know exactly what all the things of God are. Even when we see more fully, we still can only comprehend so much. But we will see Jesus' perfect grace and justice. That's the thing that I think he's, he's getting at here. So this question, I thought to get some help from a couple. Jonathan Edwards, I don't know if you know him. Uh, back in the 18th century, the great first great awakening along with Whitfield. Uh, great, 
great writings. Um, he, he, a lot of people see him as the greatest American theologian that ever lived. He's going to give us kind of one aspect. We're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at what J.I. Packer has to say, which is really insightful. And then I'm going to take you into one of C.S. Lewis's books and let him kind of take us by the hand and try to understand this. Um, and hopefully this will help. So it's in your bulletin if you want to follow along. There's the two quotes on the right-hand side of the outline. This is from Jonathan Edwards. Uh, and notice the term he uses for us, you know, it's kind of interesting. When the saints in glory, therefore, shall see the doleful state of the damned, how will his heighten their sense of the blessedness of their own state, so exceedingly different from it? They shall see the dreadful miseries of the damned and consider that they deserved the same misery. I think that's the point. Um, and that it was sovereign grace and nothing else which made them so much to differ from the damned. He's trying to help us understand that those who don't make it in don't deserve being out of it any more than you do. It's not about deserving, it's about grace. That's, I think, what he's trying to hit there. And if you want to go to John 5, we're going to look at this and who's in charge of this. We'll look at a few scriptures here and then we'll go back to that Packer one to try to, again, what are we trying, what about those folks that, and, and we don't always know. Right? I've done funerals for people. I remember uh, when Dan Fannebecker uh, was the, the, the head of Fannebecker Funeral Home, uh, he would call, uh, and, and I know this probably sounds like a bad term, but that's the term we use. It was called pinch hitter funerals. I mean, people just, just didn't have anybody, and they wanted somebody. And I thought, well, it's a time to present the gospel, so I did them. Well, it was just graveside services. Um, but you'd ask a little bit, of, tell me a little bit about the person, and, you know, and he'd ask about their faith, and it's just like crickets chirping if we had one. I mean, just and so you don't know and uh, what, to, you know, you're not going to preach them into heaven, obviously. Um, so you have those things that are there. And what happens with people is we all do this. We think about people in our lives that maybe didn't exhibit anything that showed a true faith. And we wonder where they are. And we wonder if there's anything we can do about it. And no, not really at this point we put it into someone else's hands. And I think that's what these quotes are going to try to... So how do we think about this? In fact, I've known people that have had trouble not only thinking about heaven as being positive, but also maybe not even wanting to go there because of who they think might not be there. Uh, and this is one of the threads that universalism can, can, can come from. Well, everybody must go because I can't believe that God would send someone to hell. So if you go into John 5, Jesus has a, a good discourse here. I'm going to start in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So that's the first thing to remember. Who judges everybody? It's not very hard, is it? The same one that we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks that hung on a cross for you and died for you, even though you didn't deserve it, is the one who's going to judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's the deal. That's the idea. That's what the cross is all about. 
And what we do if we, if we minimize that is we essentially, in our own minds, rob the cross of the very power that it was supposed to have. It still has it, but we can reject it. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So very binary. I don't have my chart. You guys know it by now, right? No middle ground. What about this? Those who do good have eternal life and those who do evil. What does that mean? Is it Well, he tells us in John 6. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. That's, that's the key. That's how you get it. And we know that, right? But it's the gospel. Uh, so Paul brings this into Athens, into Greece. And he talks about God's sovereignty when it comes to this judgment and grace. He says, for one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand where they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose, so why did he do this? His purpose for the nations was to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That, that's a really cool, if you want to know what the purpose of the nations are, there it is. How many nations think this is their purpose, I wonder? <laughs> How many people think this is their purpose? This is the, why did he put all this out there? Because sometimes we look at this and you're like, why all of this? Well, it's all in God's sovereignty. Though he is not far from any one of us. Because God does not live in, he talks about this earlier, does not live in temples. He is omnipresent. He can be at the person on an abandoned island that doesn't have a Bible and to the person who has 27 Bibles in their library, but unfortunately opens none. <laughs> he can be to either one, but uses the word and the evangelism and all of those things. Because ultimately in 1 Timothy, he says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. That's what we have to know about Jesus. Jesus died for everyone that believes. That's very clear, right? Do you want to appropriate that? Now let's go to the J. I think having those verses in the background, who is the judge? This is the cool part, right? The judge is also the one who gave up himself for us. I mean, if we remember that, this makes it. So J.I. Packer in his book says, God the Father, who now pleads with mankind to accept the reconciliation that Christ's death secured for all, and God the Son, our appointed judge, who wept over Jerusalem, will in a final judgment express wrath and administer justice against rebellious humans. God's holy righteousness will hereby be revealed. God will be doing the right thing, vindicating himself as last against all who have defiled him. And then he gives all those verses. We've looked at a few. You obviously now know your assignment, right? And you will see clearly God will judge justly and all angels, saints, and martyrs will praise him for it. 
So it seems inescapable that we shall, with them, approve the judgment of persons, rebels, with whom we have known and loved. I like the way he puts that. Who approves of this? Well, Jesus approves of it. Now, we're answering the question, but we're not necessarily answering it in the way we want to hear it, right? Um, you have this idea that God is the one that approves of this. And if we're telling him he's wrong, you see a problem with that. Do you see a problem with telling God he's wrong? I hope you see a problem with that. And it's not, you know, we get this idea that it's some sort of arbitrary. I mean, we've got verses that he wants everybody. That's his moral will. His sovereign will is going to allow somehow free will, grace, and faith work in the hearts of people. If you seek me, you will find me. And we, we have him do all of this. And then we somehow think that for some people, salvation is some sort of transaction that happens arbitrarily. As if God was like, whoops, we really believe that? I mean... Well, I'd really like to save that person, but I forgot about them. That's not what the Bible teaches. C.S. Lewis um, wrote this, and I, I mentioned this book before. We're going to look at some of the quotes in it to give you kind of a backdrop of what we're looking at here. The great divorce is what we call an allegory. C.S. Lewis was a, was a literature professor at Cambridge, a very bright atheist before he became a Christian. Um, he writes this Hell, in this case, is just a shadow land, and heaven is the full land. And this is toward the end of the book. And you have to get a little idea of what's happening here. In this particular scene, you've got this woman who shows all kinds of gracious beauty because she's in heaven, her real self, you know, and it's really kind of cool to read. And you've got her husband who is in hell that's just like a ghost that's just complaining all the time, and, and they're having a conversation. This is where we are. But what he's trying to do is to make her feel bad that she's in heaven and he's not. It's kind of the question we've been asking. And whether this helps or not, I think it can if you look at it. And what he does is this woman, he's using pity. It's like, feel sorry for me that I'm in hell is pretty much what he's saying. And she says, stop using pity. Other people's pity in the wrong way. We have all done this a bit on earth. You know, pity was meant to be a spur that drives joy to help misery. But it can also be used in the wrong way around, and that's what he's doing. And finally, her, his name is Frank. She says, no, Frank, not here. I love that line. Not in heaven. You can't do this anymore. Listen to reason. Do you think joy was created to live always under that threat? always defenseless against those who would rather be miserable than have their self-will crossed. For it was real misery. I know that now. You made yourself really wretched. That you can still do, but you can no longer communicate your wretchedness. Not to her. It's just, it, I've read a lot of literature, and this is the best I've ever seen to try to deal with this. It goes on. Here is joy that cannot be shaken. She's talking about heaven. Our light can swallow up your darkness, but your darkness cannot infect our light. No, no, no. <laughs> Come to us, we will not go to you. Can you really have thought that love and joy would always be at the mercy of frowns and sighs? 
do you not know they were stronger than their opposites? And that's what we have to think about. Is light and love and grace stronger than darkness and hate and works? Well, I think we're saying yes. And if we, we try to bankrupt heaven because some people might not be in it, that becomes a problem. Perhaps you had better leave me, she says, or stay if you prefer, if it would help you, and if it were possible, I would go down with you into hell. Paul kind of says that, remember in Romans 9? I'd give up my own salvation. It's a hyperbole, I think. I'd give up my own salvation if, if my fellow Jews would believe in Jesus. So I think that's kind of what she's getting at here. I would go down to hell with you, but you cannot bring hell into me. I just thought that was a very well, good way of putting it. You see how he turns that phrase, obviously thinking deeply. And yet, and this is a change. So in this, I don't know if you've read uh, Paradise Lost or, or Dante's Inferno. Dante has Virgil the poet is his guide. Kind of like in Revelation, John has an angel that's his guide. Well, in The Great Divorce, there's, I don't know if it's C.S. Lewis, the, the guy who's looking at all this, or the lady, has... George MacDonald, who was one of C.S. Lewis's favorite theologians from a century before him, as his guide. And so that's what we're going to get into. But I've got to give you a little bit of a, a fable to help you understand the next part. You guys heard of Aesop's fables? Back a long time ago. Some of them are useful, some are kind of weird. Um, there's one fable, we think it's Aesop's, it's called The Dog in the Manger. Anybody heard that one? A dog in a manger. Now, it has nothing to do with Jesus' manger. The whole thing is there's a dog who's in this manger, which is like a feeding place. for, And in the manger is all this hay, which he cannot eat. It does him no good. But when the cows come in after working to eat the hay, he growls them because he doesn't want them to have it. So, that, so the allegory of a dog in the manger is someone who doesn't want you to have what they can't have. Does that make sense? Do you know anybody like that? Certainly not us. That will make sense in the next quote after this one. So this is the person who's watched this, watched this lady and, and with all the shapes and the singing had passed in the distance. Even now, I am not quite sure. Is it really tolerable that she should be untouched by his misery even his self-made misery. That's the question. And this is the question. This really comes down to the question of, of what about those who we love that may not be in heaven? And I like the way it's put. Um, he puts it, would you rather he still had the power of tormenting her? He did it many a day and many a year in their earthly life. The demand of the loveless and the self-imprisoned that they should be allowed to blackmail the universe until they consent to be happy on their own terms, no one else shall taste joy, and that theirs should be the final power, and hell should be able to veto heaven. That's really what we're saying here, isn't it? Can hell veto heaven because some people are in it? And he ends with this, and this is where we get this little thing. So he says, son, son, this is George McDonald talking to the talking to the person who's seeing all these things about heaven. It must be one way or the other. 
Either the day must come when joy prevails and all the makers of misery are no longer able to infect it, or else forever and ever the maker of misery can destroy in others the happiness they reject for themselves. I know it has a grand sound to say you'll accept no salvation which leaves even one creature in the dark outside, but watch that sophistry or you'll make a dog in the manger the tyrant of the universe. And that's the idea. You'll make these people who don't want you to have heaven because they can't have it. Don't let people do that to you. Don't let that hold you. Again, it comes down... You're welcome to read that. Uh, you can get it on Kindle. You can get it. It's a very interesting allegory about heaven and hell. And I hope this helps some. If you want those quotes, let me know. But Randy Elkhorn kind of sums this up in his book. Hell will have no power over heaven. None of hell's misery will ever veto any of heaven's joy. And it, this is a little hard to understand. Well, why? Because we're not there. We try to imagine, we've been trying to do this, this is number 19, heaven, and we've just crashed the surface. But we, we, we can imagine, but we don't know what it's like to live a life without sin. We don't know what it's like to live a life without continual death. The joy that we'll have there is so much greater than even we can imagine. Well, we can start to imagine those times in our lives we see true joy in the relationships we have, and certainly the relationship with God. So ultimately, we're to trust Jesus. That's really what this comes down. This is the answer to the question, that his offer of grace and dispensing of justice is right and pure and true. And I think that and focusing on him, isn't that the answer it always should be, right? How do we deal with this? If you have someone that has passed on that you loved very much and either you know almost assuredly they're not in heaven or you're wondering if they are. And how can heaven be heaven without them there? Focus on Jesus. Because ultimately, there's, it really comes down to the to idea that Jesus is the one that makes the decision. And if we could see it more clearly, I think we would say, Okay, that makes sense. And we see through a glass darkly right now. Then we will see in full. And I think really what you have to do, we have to do a lot of things. We tell our kids to do this sometimes, right? You know, sometimes you have to move. Sometimes you change jobs. Sometimes and little kids don't understand why they're taken away from their friends and their school and their neighborhoods. And you can try to quote C.S. Lewis to them and J.I. Packer and all that. And they're still like, mom and dad are mean. Or it sure seems like they're mean. And sometimes I think that's the way it is with God. I, we don't always understand, but can we have faith that Jesus knows what he's doing? So I hope that helps. That's a tough question, isn't it? But a lot of theologians throughout, even Paul himself, have tried to wrestle with this and I think came up with some really good things to look at. That do not let hell veto heaven and we will understand when we get there, and we'll distrust him that he knows what he's doing. <laughs> I didn't even think about this till now, but the next question is, will we disagree? And it's like, they're probably out there, oh, I don't agree with that. <laughs> but that's not why this is here. <coughs> it's really funny to me. I'm seeing you're like, what is wrong with him? Anyway, uh, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> but will we disagree? You think about everybody's, there's no sin, there's no problem, there's no evil. We'll just all agree with everything. But that doesn't make sense, does it? Just because you disagree doesn't mean you're sinning, right? 
I may disagree just because you're wrong. <laughs> and maybe I am, right? We can disagree just because of ignorance, not because of sin. But there'll be no personal attacks and no stubbornness. The first one I'm pretty good at. The second one I'm still working on. I think it has something to do with patience. But you think about personal attacks, that's almost always what I get when you try to make a good case for Jesus. Well, this Christian did that, or you've done this. And it's like, I'm not talking about this Christian and that Christian. I'm talking about where this is true. In fact, if you, want me to, if you let me tell you about Christianity, you'll find out that we all fall short of the glory of God. We're not talking about my glory. We're talking about the glory of Jesus. But that's this, these ad hominem attacks come out. We don't have that. So we probably will disagree. I mean, think about it. We're in heaven. We're in a worship service. We get done with the worship service. We have to determine where to eat. And we may disagree. Well, who gets to decide? I'm so glad I had that seminary course on restaurant picking. I didn't. This is, a, this is in the mic, so I don't know why I'm whispering, but I have no idea where we should eat. I just pick, you know. But again, we may disagree. That's okay if we do it in a non-sinful way. And then think about creation. Will God create more? You know, He stopped creation as far as creating the heavens and the earth, and you go through Genesis 1. If you, if you actually look at Job 38, it actually has a really, really interesting part of creation. Because you get to see who gets to watch it, which is really kind of interesting. We don't see this uh, when we look at Job 38 is a great chapter. If you remember Job, it's a real long book of people um, complaining. And then Job 38, God shows up. And what does he say? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? <laughs> Tell me if you have understanding, Job. <laughs> who determined its measurements, Job? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Did you know that the angels were there when the physical stuff was created? Isn't that kind of cool? You think that'll happen again? You think in the new heaven and the new earth there'll be more creation by God? I wonder if he'll create new animals. Maybe we'll finally get that, what's that, uh, unicorn. You've seen the, the, the far side where you get the, you get, you know, you've got Noah on the ark and then he's sitting there talking to his wife and up you see these hooves up, and it looks like something's dead there. And He said, well, make sure you keep the lions on the first floor and don't let them toward anything other than the unicorns, and the unicorn's dead. That's why we don't have unicorns. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's something to think about, but God is creative. You know, maybe that's something that we'll see. He may create even more, and we'll get to watch it. Wouldn't that be cool to see him? Create more and more things. 
Well, there it is. I didn't have to read it here. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? How will we treat each other? This is the one, again, we haven't experienced this. It's all going to be the best. Back to Jonathan Edwards. No inhabitants of that blessed world will ever be grieved when the thought that they are when the thought that they are aligned by those who they love or that their love is not fully and fondly returned. That's just it. How many times in this life do we love and people don't love back? In fact, we're supposed to love our enemies. Well, you're not going to have any up there or over there or here. There shall be no such thing as flattery or insincerity in heaven, but their perfect sincerity shall reign through all and all. Everyone will be just what they seem to be and will really have all the love that they seem to have. It will not be as in this world where comparatively few things are what they seem to be and where professions are often made lightly and without meaning, but there every expression of love shall come from the bottom of the heart and all that is professed shall be really and truly felt. I'm sure you have people in your life when they tell you something, you know they're not lying. Think about every time that that could be. And you don't have to worry about it. I was just thinking about politics. That would be different. Every political ad is true. I always thought, I always wanted to run for office. I really did. I just want the health care and the pension. Do you think I could win? What are you running on? Just want the health care and the pension. What do you think about this? I don't care. I want the health care and the pension. That would be truthful. Do you think I could win? I know Aaron can make postcards up if we want to try that. So be interesting to try. But, but the idea of everything being true, you, you never had to worry about what somebody was thinking. You know, have you ever thought about that? What if in this life, all of a sudden, you could... You could hear what everybody's thinking about you? In that life, it'll be fine. This life, not so good. So lost opportunities will be refound. Time cut short now is now infinite. This is something we can... Will we be equal? Will we all be able to do exactly the same thing? No. <laughs> I think that's... Can you now? I'm looking around here. I know there's people that do things that I have no idea how to do. It's probably going to be that way too. Again, we'll be equal in worth, but we're diverse in our abilities and our talents. I don't think I'll probably be any better at baking than I am now. I may be able to learn. Or even music. You think about that. I remember, I can do it. You know, I can play the, play the notes but I'm really not good at playing the music. Does that make sense? You know, some people just have that. And I'm, it's probably going to, they'll probably get better. Maybe I can learn. But again, I don't have that talent, and that's okay. And then finally, what will society be like in the new heaven and the new earth? Will there still be ethnic identities? Or will we all be, I don't know, blue? <laughs> Pick an off color. There'll probably still be ethnicities, won't they? And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. This is in Revelation when Jesus comes forward 
and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign over there. I think there'll still be ethnicities. I really do. I think we see that in Revelation. What about languages? Will be multiple languages? I think that's perfect for our day. How many languages are you? I see we got some teachers. You know, how many languages are in our schools right now? I think there will be a universal common language. I think we see that from Revelation 7. And I'm pretty sure I know what it's going to be. Hebrew. Don't you think? So get ready to read right to left. It's going to be fun. Shema, it's Oh boy, it's going to be fun. And you got to spit when you talk and all that. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I think we'll have the reversal of Babel. We won't have that. But, you know, there may be other languages spoken. I don't know. But again, communication. I don't think we'll have a problem communicate. And then some, some theologians even think the ancient cultures will come back, that maybe Babylon, the good parts of it, Persia, Rome, maybe even some of the North American ones that will come back. New cultures, new ways of looking at things. Again, the possibilities are endless. These are questions that, that come to people, and, and we're trying to maybe flail through some of them. I know sometimes it feels like we're just saying, it's all going to be really good. And that's okay to some extent, but I think it's good to kind of think about these things and try to nail down a little bit of what we're getting at. But remember, back to that main question. We can't control what other people believe about Jesus, but we can affect it. God has chosen to use his followers to be ambassadors for him. And each day, I pray for you, I, I hope you pray for yourself and others, that we get opportunities and give a reason for the hope that we have. And then let Jesus kind of take on from there and the Spirit work his wonder in the hearts of people. But again, it really comes down to that children's sermon answer. When it comes to something like that, I think if there's one in your life that has passed that uh, you're not sure about, just focus on Jesus and know that his decision, even though if you don't understand it completely now, is the perfect decision, and perhaps we'll know better then, as we know him better then. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these theologians that help us try to understand, for J.I. Packer, for Jonathan Edwards, C.S. Lewis, that uh, tackle these tough questions that I know people have, and I just pray for each person here that their focus on all of this is that they believe in you more, that they want to know your gospel even more, that they want to be closer to you even more. May we always remember that the closer we get to you really is going to give us more and more joy, get us through the storms of life and help us have more and more joyous times. May we always remember that even though we look for a new heaven and a new earth, that your spirit is with us now and we can have joy here with you and with each other. We thank you for giving us what we need through your word and your spirit. Amen.